Usually we uh, blame the sound guys for that. That was my fault. Apologies. How are you? All right, it's a good deal. It is uh, very, very good to be worshiping with you all this morning. Good to be here. Uh, we are continuing on in our summer series on First Timothy, uh, and we will be in chapter 3 today, so let's just dive right in. Um, if you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, go to First Timothy chapter 3. Um, there should be a Bible under every second and third chair somewhere around you, so if you do not uh, own a Bible particularly, we want you to take that and to keep that. Uh, that's our gift to you. We want you to have the Word to be able to use that, read that during the week, so please do that. Um, you can also follow along on your smartphone if you wish. If you have the version app underneath the events section, um, type in the Well Austin. You'll be able to follow along that way. All the scripture, all the notes, everything is on there so you can follow along there. You can also take uh, a link that we have up here and put it right into your browser and you'll be able to follow along in that way. Uh, we may not have the link. It is in your bulletin though. Um, boom. All right, um, so we want your eyes on the Word, okay? So however you uh, want to look at the Word, we want you to be looking at it that you see that this is not uh, just our words or my words, but the words of God. So um, let's do that. Today we are talking about elders uh, and what are their roles? Uh, how is it do we find elders? What is their uh, kind of significance or importance in the church? And uh, one of the most important things when establishing a church, when going from like a church plant to an actual church, is to have godly men who are, in the position of elders to help lead, guide, establish that church. And so that's one of the reasons why we're going through First Timothy this summer is that we as a church kind of want to move from church plant nucleus into like church, an actual church that's going to be here for the long haul in the city that's able to bless many other uh, areas of the city with our presence here. And so um, this is one of the keys to this, that leadership is important. And really, all of us in some ways, we know and we understand uh, kind of intuitively that leadership is important, right? I mean, even in our society today, which is so very much anti-authority and sort of anti-leader, like we still know that it's important. In fact, one of the things that bother people the most today is when we see people that would proclaim themselves as leaders, but not really carry forth that mantle well. They don't act as leaders. That really gets under our skin in a lot of ways. So when we look for uh, political leaders, when we're thinking along that lines, whenever their favorability rating is the lowest, it's also the moment where the public says that they trust them the least. And so we see that trust is this important aspect of leadership. We want to be able to trust our leaders to know that they are above reproach in a lot of ways, that we can uh, uh, honor them, and that in some ways they represent us. In fact, that's what a lot of people fear about this upcoming election, right? Like, like you have a man who we're not really sure on his character and his ideas are kind of all over the place. And so we don't really trust him. And that leads to us not really knowing whether or not he can be a good leader. On the other side, you have a woman who has had some question marks about her past. And so people are suspicious about her too. There's a lack of trust there. And so a lot of people feel like, well, what do we do on both sides? We don't know if we can trust them because we know intuitively that leadership is important and we want to have good leaders in place. And so even if we're kind of anti-authority, anti-leader as a lot of our culture is today, we still know deep down that it's important. One of the biggest tensions right now in America is racial tensions, and most of the racial tensions that have been being brought up are caused by either uh, the police or the justice system. And in our minds, we think we should be able to trust these people because they're supposed to be leaders over us in some way, yet we see senseless killings or, or acts of violence, and it makes us unsure to whether or not we can trust them, and it causes unrest. 
And so we see trust there. A lot of the hit movies or hit TV shows are based on either really great or really, really bad leaders who think they're really, really great, right? And so we, we understand that that kind of pulls on our heartstrings a little bit. If you're a sports person, when the head coach gets fired of a team, what's the number one thing that is said about the coach? There wasn't a culture of leadership or the, the team wasn't responding to his leadership or it's always kind of centered around this idea of leadership. Uh, when I was in middle school, actually, I went to a school in the inner city, um, and the school was actually a pretty good school, particularly for where it was in the inner city. Um, not to draw out the whole story, but kind of make it short, um, it came out that our principal was actually sleeping with one of the seventh graders in the school, and he was sleeping with her and then giving her good grades as a result, okay? And so when that kind of came out in public and when everybody all of a sudden realized it, the school, even though it was honestly, I mean, this. It was a pretty good school. A lot of the teachers actually genuinely cared about the kids, which you don't find a lot in the inner city, as a lot of you are probably familiar with. They genuinely wanted the kids to grow, to be shaped, to be changed. Yet, when the leader came out with this moral corruption, it really hit the school hard, and eventually, a couple of years later, the school was shut down as people began to move. When the CEO is corrupt, you don't trust the entire organization, and the organization usually fails. And so, we see that uh, even though we have a hard time believing or even submitting and respecting authority, we all understand the importance of what a good leader entails. And there's nothing different about that and the church. There's the same idea that it's really, really important for the church to have good leaders. In fact, one of the hit movies last year was the movie Spotlight, which exposed the, the sex scandal that was going on in the Catholic church. And it was big because people realized that, look, it's important to have good leaders. And these people were taking this position of leadership and using it in very unhealthy, very ungodly ways. And a lot of us can even relate with that. In fact, here would be my thought, is that about half of you in this room, if we were to dig into your stories, would say that you had a negative church experience where you would hurt in some way. And I guarantee that out of the half of you that have had that experience, 95% of that negative experience has been because of a church leader. Either something, uh, there's some sort of corruption, they're stealing money or they're sleeping with somebody or they just kind of run off or they just don't shepherd well or they're dominating in their personality or whatever it may be. A lot of us have a lot of church baggage and a lot of the reason is because we have not had good leaders. And so a lot of us have a hard time trusting the church in that way. Good leadership is important and is no different in the world or in the church. The difference within the church though, okay, is that scripture lays out what a solid leader is supposed to look like. Now, notice I use the word supposed to look like there, okay? There are times where uh, people sort of reject this idea of scripture and the idea of what's being placed here from the word of God and who's actually in leadership and the church are chasms apart. But God has kind of laid out what does it look like for a church to have good leaders? What does it look like for us to actually lead well in such a way that really honors God and that really helps us grow in love and maturity? That's what we're looking at today is this idea of leadership, which is important for all of us, okay? So, 1 Timothy chapter 3, let's dive into verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Okay, a couple of things really quickly just to help set pace for us. Firstly, the word overseer is interchangeable in scripture with the word elder, bishop, or presbyter. And so depending on your church history, you may have had some of these words thrown in there. They're interchangeable words in scripture. You can honestly use them in any way. So when we see overseer in this text, what we'll be talking about is elders in our context, the elders of the church, okay? Also, notice the word aspire there. 
there's nothing wrong with aspiring to the position of an elder in the church, with desiring that. The Greek word for aspire, actually, the definition is to reach out one's hand and to take hold of, is what that would translate into. So to reach out. So you are literally the one going out and trying to grab for it and then applying it. Paul says this is a noble pursuit. This is a good thing. There's a big difference, though, hear me, in desiring leadership for yourself or in desiring leadership that you may lay yourself down for the sake of others. Are you tracking with that? There's a big difference between the two. One of the biggest problems that we have with our leaders is when they so clearly lead for themselves and themselves alone. Maybe they find some value in it. Maybe they find some sense of power. Maybe they find some importance in some ways. And we don't really like that because we know, once again, intuitively, it's written on our heart that that's not what leaders are supposed to do. They're power hungry. They want to execute in some way. It makes them feel good. But this is not what biblical leadership is. Biblical leadership is not aspiring that you may may have a position for yourself that you may feel good about yourself. The way the world views leadership, which that is often how it plays out, the leader is the most important, the leader is the most valuable, the leader is the most honored, is not actually how scripture plays out this idea of leadership. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but I think it's important. So let's go back to the same text, Matthew chapter 20. Um, In Matthew chapter 20, uh, Jesus is talking uh, to his disciples, and there's this whole idea of leadership, okay? And it says this, Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him, so she's being sincere, right? She asked him for something and he said to her, what do you want? She said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. If Jesus ever answers you like that, you should stop your conversation with Jesus immediately, okay? You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the cup that I am to drink? They said, we are able. If Jesus ever asks you a hypothetical question, do not answer those hypothetical questions, okay? He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared by the Father. And when the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. Now, why are they so upset that the brothers are asking this? Because what Jesus is granting to them here is a position of authority, is a position of leadership. He said, you know what? I don't know if you can sit at my right hand and my, my left hand. That's for the father to decide. But, but you will be able to have a sense of leadership. You will be able to have a sense of authority. Are you able to drink from my cup? And they said, we are. He said, well, then you will drink from it. They realize that Jesus is in this bestowing upon them a position of leadership. Now, here's the important thing. If you know the gospel, you know that when Jesus talks about his cup, he means him dying for the sake of others. So he said, you don't know what you're asking for. You're asking for this position of leadership because you think there's something important about it. What you're, what you're actually going to do as a leader is you're going to die for everyone else, just like I will. I will grant you this, Jesus said. But the 10 didn't realize that either. So they were, they were indignant. They were, they were mad. Like indignant is not a word that's just thrown into scripture very often, is it? Like they were heated, right? And so Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. 
Jesus completely flips this idea of leadership on its head. The disciples were thinking just like the world thinks, that leadership means power or position or authority or importance or value or identity. They can now identify themselves as certain types of leader. But Jesus said, the biggest leader amongst you is actually the one who is the biggest servant. You have this position of leadership that you may be in a position to better serve others. It's not an opportunity for you to look good. It's an opportunity for you to lay down your life for somebody else and make others look good. This is what biblical leadership looks like. And so leadership is an opportunity to serve others, to help them to grow, to help them to grow in their love, to, to learn more about the, the Lord, to, to grow in their understanding, etc. The opportunity for leadership is to grow or help others grow. And so our understanding of leadership has got to be different here. So the aspiration, the desiring of leadership is a good thing when you look at leadership correctly. When you realize what leadership is actually entailing, the desire to have a position that you may better lay down your lives for the sake of others. And so if you aspire to be leaders in here, man, good. That is a good thing. Just recognize what leadership is and realize what the Lord is talking about here. Desire this. Ask that God would help you to grow into a greater and greater leader, which means you are a person who lays down your life more faithfully and more fully for the sake of others. We have to recognize what leadership is. We also have to recognize that God will hold the leaders more responsible. You will be judged more harshly. And so if you want that, realize that there's also a responsibility before the Lord to make sure that you are doing this well. Is this what you want? Do you want leadership that you may be able to better serve the people of God? Leaders, particularly elders in this context, exist to lay down their lives for the sake of others, to help them flourish. There's more than just that, okay? But I want to stay faithful to our text, but I want to reorient our mind about what we're talking about today. Reorient our mind around the ideas of leadership, all right? So let's actually read the rest of our text. Let's chop it up. Uh, 1 Timothy 3, pick it up in verse 2. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Here's what I want to do. I just want to break down every one of those qualifications and begin to explain them some, okay? The first one, above reproach. Is their life lived in such a way whereas nothing can really be brought against them that would ruin the representation of the gospel or of the church that they are representing? Are they above reproach? So this is kind of an overarching qualification, but do they have extremely exemplary lives? Like, do they have any secret sins that really nobody knows about or only one or two people know about? Or are their lives open? Are they above reproach in every area? Is, is their character worth following? Uh, is their speech, faith, love, conduct, purity, as Paul would call Timothy to in 1 Timothy 4, is that all above reproach? Do you look at them and in all those areas, do you go, man, that's a godly man. That, that's somebody who is worth following, okay? One note in this text, because you're going to see really quickly, is that this text does not call for perfection, all right? If it would call for perfection, I would definitely not be an elder of this church, okay? I'd be very, very far from that, as would our other elders even more so, all right? I'm just kidding, all right? <laughs> 
Simultaneously, however, while all of us are flawed and all of us need Jesus, nonetheless, that grace that we have received from the Lord should be changing who we are as men and as women. Amen? When Jesus comes into your life, he begins to alter who you are. He shifts who you are. And an elder is one whose heart has been so transformed by God and by the gospel that their lives are above reproach. They exemplify, they present Christ in very beautiful ways. And when they do sin, because they do, it isn't crippling sin that makes the gospel look nasty or ugly, right? It's sin that they realize and they repent of very quickly, mind you, lest it does become crippling because all of us have that possibility of having sin cripple cripple us. They repent of it and they find a way to reposition themselves in the gospel and in the grace of Christ. A leader must be above reproach or above questioning is another way to say that. Husband of one wife. Another way you could say this, the actual literal translation here would be a one woman man. Okay. The elder is not filled with lust for other women and is committed to and loves his wife well if he has a wife. All right. Paul, I think, could have been an elder of a church. He was not married. Right? Jesus definitely could be an elder of the church. He was not married on earth. Right? So marriage is not necessarily a qualification, but this man is not filled with lust whether he has a wife or not. Right? Uh, um, an elder, by the way, just a quick side note, is a male-only role. We talked about that a lot last week. If you weren't here for that last week and that's really confusing to you is why we say that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon because we really laid that out as to why that's important in the life of the church. Okay? Um, however, the striving for of what this is talking about is for everybody in the church. And so this applies to every single one of us in here, all right? Um, this also doesn't mean the man uh, uh, doesn't just uh, uh, not struggle at all, but when he does struggle, he tries to aggressively kill his sin, right? He's committed to his one wife. And so within that, that would actually underlie that divorce for an elder is not an option. Divorce, by the way, let me tell you, was wildly popular in that time period. I said this last week. Last week, we said that our culture thinks we're the first culture that really honors women. We don't even come close to the way that the Greek culture did in a lot of ways. There was even worship of women in a lot of ways. We think that our culture is one of the first cultures that really kind of wrestle with this idea of divorce and that we have high divorce rates. It's true, but we're not even flicking a candle on to where the Greeks were at in this, okay? It was probably more popular then than it is now. In fact, uh, a first century writer whose name I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to say it, said this. He said, rare are marriages so long lasting and ended by death, not interrupted by divorce. Rare are these marriages. They're always having divorce. This was written during the same time of Jesus, okay? And so this idea of divorce was very, very uh, uh, common in that culture. Elders, however, the men, elders are committed men. One of the reasons that this is important in the way that it plays out in the church is because if a leader is willing to forsake his commitment to his wife to pursue that which he believes is better, if he sees another woman and says, oh, the grass is greener, and he's willing to leave that woman to begin to pursue another woman, then what's to stop him from doing that to the church. Are you tracking with that? What's to stop him from leaving? As soon as he gets tired of us, is he just going to leave us in pursuit of greener pastures? Do you want a leader that's like that, that would leave his own family? Therefore, he's definitely going to leave the family of God because you're not bounded by covenant to this man. And so it's important that he's committed to, he's dedicated to, he, he stays strong to his wife. Look, church people are hard to deal with sometimes. Amen. Right? Some of you are like, they are hard to deal with. I'm talking about you. <laughs> right? Like You're hard to deal with. I'm hard to deal with sometimes. If they're going to quickly just exit their covenant with their wife for somebody else, they will for sure exit on you when you need them the most. You need a committed man. Now, 
in all that, because divorce is such a common thing, there are times where divorced men may even maybe maybe on the elder board, if it was uh, before they were believers or uh, 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 if the wife was the one that initiated that and went on and covenanted with somebody else, there are a lot of uh, 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 qualifications in there that are important. However, we do see this is a really important thing to Paul, that he would be a committed man to his wife. And I think it's important because you want the church as the bride of Christ to be represented presented by a man who protects and loves his own bride well. Is he committed to her? Does he love her? Does he cherish her? Does he make her feel lovely? Does he try to present her as pure before the Lord? Because if he does that to her, then it's likely he will do that to us as a church, okay? Um, we have to move on this. We'll be here all day. Let's pick up the pace some, okay? Uh, sober-minded or clear-headed. Uh, this man is able to think straight. And so he doesn't allow his emotions or his feelings to dictate his mind away from truth. We are emotional creatures by nature, but there are also times where we have to just decide to stand firm on truth, even when our emotions are trying to sway us against that truth. An elder is a man who is able to think clearly through his emotions and land on the truth where it is self-controlled. In a very similar way, he controls himself. He doesn't allow anger or frustration or bitterness to get him out of wax in some sorts. So he's able to control his temper and his temperament, his lifestyle holistically as a man is controlled. Respectable. Men and women respect and they admire, they honor this man for various reasons. His love, his leadership, his teachings, his, his discipline. This man naturally gathers and harnesses the respect of people. You look at him and go, man, I really respect that guy. And there's, there's something about him that I just really honor. If people don't naturally respect that man, then he probably shouldn't be an elder. And there's a lot of importance into that that we can't go into or else we'll be here all day like I just said. But as you see, we're already probably setting the bar pretty high. All right, like already, we're not, even, we're not even halfway through yet, all right? And the bar is already being set pretty high. Well, it is a high bar. It is a really high bar. Why? Because God cares about his church. Quick side point, and I need you to hear this. God loves his church. And so he sets the parameters for leadership so unbelievably high because he wants to make sure that you are being loved, shepherded, and protected. This is good, God loves you is what this means. And so when you see this high bar, don't just realize, oh man, this is really, really, really hard to jump over. Man, who the world can jump over it? Realize that God sets that high bar because of his affections for you. God wants to make sure you're taken care of. As the leader goes, so often goes the organization, as we just gave example to when we first started. And even as you see all throughout the Old Testament, as the leader went, so went the people. And so the same is true often with the church. And so God cares about that and wants us to be protected. Hospitable is the next one. People who are broken or who are feeling hurt are comforted around this person. This word doesn't just mean that he opens up his home, though this is a part of hospitality, but it's that he opens up his life. His life is hospitable. In fact, hospitable has the same root word as hospital, and it carries this idea of people who are hurting can come and be healed around that person. And so does this man welcome you? Does this man shepherd you? Does he love you in such a way where, where you feel taken care of, where you feel like you can go to him when you're sick and he'll help you make you feel better. The elder is hospitable, able to teach. 
This man handles the word of God correctly. There's a difference, real quick, too, between preaching and teaching, okay? So it doesn't mean that he can get up on stage and preach the word and be a, a great, great orator. That's not what this word means. However, he is able to teach the word. What that means is on a one-to-one discipleship or in a classroom setting or in a small group setting, this man has enough understanding of the word. He's been so consumed by the word, and it's over his life that he's able to explain that to you and help the word be over your life as well. He's able to to exegete the word of God for you that you may be able to submit to it. He understands, he knows the words, he submits to the words. And so this carries with it the understanding too that he's able to point out when there are false teachings that happen because it's one of the uh, uh, responsibilities of an elder is to point out where there's false truths and say, that's not true. That's not what the word of God says. We have to reorient our lives around that. One of the responsibilities of an elder is to protect the church from wolves who would try to harm us. And so he's able to have enough understanding of the word where he's able to do that. And so he, he knows the word well. Not a drunkard, okay? Um, do I have to explain this one? All right. He's not addicted to various vices, okay? This almost disqualified Paul, all right? But he slid under here. I'm just, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> Paul found that more funny than the rest of you. You guys got scared, all right? I'm totally kidding. I just want to throw that out, all right? Uh, not violent, but gentle, okay? Uh, if you feel like you can't go to this man because you fear that he will cuss you out, he should not be an elder, all right? Does that make sense? Like he's, he's not violent in his demeanor, but he's very, very gentle. Why? Because shepherds, which is what an elder is, are gentle, they're tender, they're loving, they're caring in their very nature. Now, this doesn't mean that he won't rebuke or speak truth in love, but even when he does speak truth or have to rebuke you, he does it with the spirit of gentleness. He's not violent in that, but he's a gentle man, not quarrelsome. He doesn't look for fights. That doesn't mean that he doesn't know how to handle controversies because there are controversies in the church. All right, if you're brand new, welcome to the church. We have controversies. We're troubled people, all right? But he knows not how to, or he knows how to handle those controversies, but he himself doesn't try to start them. He himself doesn't bring up things just for the sake of quarreling because that's one of the uh, ways that you can mark a really false leader is they always got to talk and they always got to be right and they always want to express their ideas and they always want to fight about something. There's always something going on that's not right, always something going on that needs to be fixed, always something going on. They're quarrelsome. They start up fights. The elder is able to handle those, but at the same time, not be the initiator within that himself. He squashes quarrels and creates peace for the church as a whole not a lover of money. We'll get into this more in chapter six, okay? There's actually two sections in chapter six that talk about money, but this man isn't a lover of money. One of the reasons is that as an overseer, he handles the church's finances. That's one of his responsibilities as an elder. So if he loves money, he may be tempted to steal it or to misuse it in some way or to covet it or to hoard it in very ungodly ways, and none of that is good. So he can't be a lover of money, okay? He must manage his own household well. Uh, I talked about that when we talked about being a one-woman man, but the same is true here. And Paul actually gives us the reason why in this text, right? If they can't manage their own household, then how can you expect them to manage the household of God, Paul says, which is true. If they can't handle their small individual household, which consists of what, three, four, five, just uh, unless they have like 13 kids, it's a pretty small household, right? So usually it's a lot smaller than the church. If they can't handle their small household, how are they going to handle the bigness of the church and the household of God and the family of God, which is what we are collectively? Do their children respect and honor their daddies is the way you can look at that. 
Do they respect and honor their daddies? Uh, can you tell that they have a healthy respect for their daddies, which means that they probably teach and they discipline correctly, as they should the church as well. But at the same time, can you tell the children have a deep love and a deep admiration for their dad? That means he's probably gentle and he's probably caring. And he's probably kind to them. You can tell a lot about a man by looking at his kids. You can tell a lot about a man by looking at his kids. And there are always anomalies present. And so that's why you should know your elder, okay? There's always anomaly kids. But the way the child treats the father is usually reflective of how the father treats the child. And so it's reflective of how he'll treat us as a church. Does he honor the church well? He can't be a new Christian, this text says, because Satan could tackle him and get him to become prideful in his position and think that his position gives him greater value or honor than anyone else. And so often you see this, right? This is an easy one for us to look at in our culture society today. When people rise up too quickly and we give them too much honor too early, it's really easy for them to abuse it. You see it in the church amongst a bunch of people who have fallen either because uh, of different scandals or even just their, their violence or their, their authoritative meaning, not their sacrificial meaning. You even see it in the world with people like Justin Bieber, right? Amen. All right. He rose up way too quickly and he did not know what to do with that. And then he went kind of psycho. Okay. And so in a lot of ways, uh, Paul says, hey, make sure that these men in the church aren't like this because Justin Bieber doesn't have Satan attacking him, but the elders of the church do. And so if he can't handle this rise too quickly, for sure as heck, a man in the church cannot do that whom Satan is after to try to destroy. Don't allow him to be a, 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 a man that can be destroyed by Satan. Here's what happens. So often we see people's talents in ministry, and so we try to promote them too quickly. Talents are not more important than character. Okay? We'll get more on that in a second. Finally, those outside the church must respect this man. In our elder interviewing process, okay, which we do at the well, which takes about eight months, by the way, because we really think this is an important process and we want to know this man holistically. One of the things that we have the elders do is we have them give us a list of people that are outside the church that are not Christians, and we call them or email them and ask them, do you respect this man? Like, like, even though you may not agree with him in regards to the gospel, do you respect his life? Is he somebody that you may even admire in some ways? Would you want 10 Michael Coxes working for your company? Would you want 10 Paul Carlsons being your neighbor? Would you want 10 Jake Ridleys to, to be with your kids and to hang out with them? Like, like, even though you may not understand, like, the gospel and stuff like that, like, do you respect and honor this man? And we tell them why we're doing it. Because we're going to make them elders in our church. This is important. And so they have to be respected, not just inside the church, but outside the church. This man can't be a beast within the church and then a schlub outside the church, right? Like that's just, that's not a healthy or a good thing. His whole life should be reflective of the person and work in Christ and the transformation that Christ has been doing in his heart. All right. There's our qualifications of an elder. Now, question, did anything stand out to you as we were walking through the qualifications? Here's something that always stands out to me, okay? There are 14 qualifications here. I want you to look at this chart that I have up here. Out of the 14 qualifications, 11 of them, 11 of them have to do with character, two of them with doctrine, I'm sorry, two of them with ministry skill, and one of them with doctrine. It's obvious that to the Lord, character is how you mark and how you find leaders, it's obvious, right? A man can have all the skill in the world like we talked about, but if he has no character, then what is its worth? 
What, what, what value is that? He will only end up staining the gospel because of his lack of character. Now, why is this? Why, why is character so deeply valued in the church and so deeply valued to God? Why, why does character make the leader? One of the biggest reasons is that the gospel doesn't just change your thinking and it doesn't just change your actions, but it changes who you are as a person. The gospel transforms all of you. It transforms your heart, which in transforming your heart transforms the rest of you. You can allow the gospel to to kind of transform your mind a little bit and have good doctrinal knowledge, but if that does not change the way you act or your person, your character, then the gospel is not truly set root in your heart the way we want it to. If the gospel changes your actions, you do things for the Lord, but you don't believe differently, you don't act differently as a result of that, the gospel has not changed you in the way that we want it to. The gospel changes the man in the fullness. The gospel changes the woman in her fullness. The gospel alters who we are as Christians. You need only to know somebody before they know Jesus and after they know Jesus to even see glimpses of this. But the elder has been a man who has been so committed to the Lord and the Lord so committed to him and he has submitted his life to the gospel so much that his whole person begins to change. They've been transformed by the gospel in very, very beautiful ways. Now, one of the biggest reasons why this is important is because one of the things that elders are is they are examples for us. They're examples for us. They go before us and say, hey, follow me or live like this or act like this or do like this. This is what a leader should be doing is showing us how it should be done and then helping us do it. Does that make sense? A leader should be showing us how it's done and then helping us do it. If you think about uh, leaders that you respect, say in your career or uh, maybe in your schooling, one of the things that you probably respect most about those leaders is that they both talk the talk and they walk the walk. Does that make sense? So they, they went and they, they did what they were telling you to do and you could see this in their life and they were also helping you do it as well. That's one of the important things that an elder does is he doesn't just walk like this, but he also teaches the word well. He helps us to do it as well. These are the qualifications of an elder. Now, this doesn't answer what an elder does or what the, the functions of an elder are. And honestly, it's not covered much in this text, minus the hospitality and the uh, teaching of the word. Uh, there's not much covered in this text, and so we're not going to cover it much today. Um, in the Uversion app, though, uh, I attached a document that we just created this week, okay? Here, we just created this week, so it's beta, all right? And so don't judge us. There's like spelling errors and weird things in there. It's not fully complete, but it's in that app, and if you want to look at it, I would encourage you to go look at it. What we did as a group of elders is we laid out what are our functions in the church. In light of what all of Scripture has to say about being an elder, what does it look like for an elder to lead, to interact in the church well? Without going into much detail in them, okay, here's a quick, quick list of them. They're a shepherd, they love, they protect, they care for, they encourage, they challenge, they rebuke, they are with us. They are shepherds over us. They're teachers. We talked about that already. They're trackers. When lost sheep, when sheep that are truly of God, when they go astray, they don't just allow them to run off astray. They actually take care of them. They love them. Why? Because that's what Jesus did for them. When they were astray, when they were prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love, as we just sang, when that was them, Jesus came and pursued them, or other men and women came and pursued them, and so they too now pursue us when we are wayward. That's one of the reasons why committing to a church is actually so important, because in that, you actually show the elders, look, this is my church, I'm dedicated to you, you are my elder, and then when you begin to grow astray, which is so easy for all of us to do in our sin, they seek after you, they try to find you, they, they they come, they make sure you're not hurting, that Satan isn't destroying you too much. And sometimes they give space where needed, but they love you. They track you down. 
They're an example for us. We just talked about that. They're an overseer. Okay, and so they, they oversee uh, uh, church ministry and function, the finances, the structures, the, the way the church is run. They help oversee that. They're an intercessor. Man, they pray ridiculously for you. If a person does not pray over his people, he is not an elder. And that's, I honestly learned it the hard way. I'm not a great prayer warrior, but being in this position, God has forced me to pray. And it's been a beautiful thing as I've grown into that. Elders are intercessors and they pray over your soul. And then they're co-laborers. They work with each other and with us as a church to help make the kingdom of God beautiful here on earth. Now, we could end here and we could say, all of us pursue this. All of us chase after this. But we just said that was an unrealistically high bar, was it not? Like, who of you in here feel like, oh, I'm a qualified elder now, right? Does anybody feel like that? Because preaching through this, I don't feel like that, and I am an elder at the well, right? Like, it's so easy not to feel like this. So that we can say, hey, just go do this and, and just go model Christ. But we'd be missing something really important, wouldn't we? An elder is a role like many other roles that should reflect something greater than us. Just as an earthly father, happy Father's Day, should reflect the greater father in heaven, And just as a brother should reflect our greater brother that's in heaven, and just as a helper should reflect the Holy Spirit who is our true and great helper, and just as a husband should reflect our greater husband, so too with an elder. An elder should reflect Jesus, who is our true elder. He's our true shepherd. Matter of fact, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the true shepherd. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, go to Jesus who is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Do you remember what we started with in uh, Matthew chapter 20, where we talked about leadership and, and why leadership is so important in laying down your life? I was purposely being a little bit tricky. We didn't lead, read the last verse, all right? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 20. Remember the whole discord between James and John and the mother, and Jesus tells them, look, a, a true leader lays down his life. The very last verse of that says, let me read verse 27. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the greatest example. See, Paul or Michael or Jake or myself, we should be laying down our lives for you. That is part of our responsibility as elders is that we take our lives and say, our lives are not ours to own. We want to give them away for the sake of God, for the sake of us as a community building up in the household of God. But Jesus literally laid down his life for you. Like Paul did not die for you, okay? And maybe he would be willing to, but he did not do it. Jake did not do that. I did not do that. Michael did not do that. But Jesus literally already laid down his life for us. He is our true elder. He said true leadership is laying down your life for others. And I'm going to go be your example to that. And Jesus literally laid down his life for us. Jesus is the greatest example of this. He died that we might be protected, that we might be cared for, that whenever we wander, when we go astray, he seeks after us and his death in the gospel is what that brings is is a beckoning call back to us. He, He cares for us. Jesus is the true shepherd that lays down his life for the sheep, John 10 tells us. Jesus is the greatest shepherd. In fact, look at every single qualification of an elder. I have a chart up here to help us. Jesus is the true overseer who's truly above reproach. He's so above reproach that even when they were trying to throw false accusation at him, nothing was sticking because they couldn't get their story straight because Jesus never sinned. He's so above reproach that there's no sin in him. 
Jesus is the true elder that's truly above reproach. He's the true one-woman man because even when you and I are faithless and we're wayward and we commit adultery over and over again, he does not divorce us. He says, I will stay with you forever. Nothing can separate you from my love. Romans 8 tells us he's the true husband who not just doesn't divorce us, but he keeps working in us that he may present us as pure before God. He's the true one woman man. He's the true sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable one that even when he was being falsely accused, he kept his brain straight on the goal. He kept fast on the word of God. He, He stood firm on it and said, I'm not going to move from this. He's the true person of hospitality. He not only welcomes uh, strangers, but he welcomes really, 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 really bad sinners. Does he not? Matter of fact, Jesus doesn't just invite them into his house. He goes into their house. He says, Matthew, I dine with you today. Zacchaeus, I dine with you today. He finds those who are hurting, and he's the hospitable one that heals them. He's the true teacher. Jesus literally teaches us the very words of God because he is the word of God. Every time he speaks, it is the words of God because he himself is God. Man, this is, Jesus is is all these things for us. He's the, the true household manager must manage a household well. Why? Because we just said church people are hard to deal with, are we not? Yet, he doesn't just consume us in his wrath, but Hebrews 12 says he disciplines us as sons and daughters of God, and he helps us transform into his image. He doesn't grow impatient or weary, even when we're acting like we're in our terrible twos for our whole life, because we are. That's how we act before the Lord. He doesn't just get overwhelmed, but he, he blesses us. He's not a recent convert because he never converted. He always was God and always believed in the Father perfectly, right? Like, that's a true thing. Jesus has never converted. He has always been in light. There is no darkness in him. And even when outsiders hated Jesus, even when they detested him, when they spit on him and beat him and tried to ruin him, you still see these moments of Man, maybe he was the son of God. You still see Pontius Pilate say, I can't find fault in this man. People who are outside the faith still respect and honor Jesus. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Everybody will pay their respect to him. Jesus is the true shepherd. He is the one that is worthy of worship. In fact, if you're not a Christian in here today, or if you're wrestling with the faith, if you're wrestling with this idea of Christianity, don't you want a leader like this? When we walk through the qualifications of an elder, wouldn't it be nice to have somebody over us like this? Jesus is. In fact, he doesn't make up flawed statements the way that I or any other earthly elder would do, but he's perfect. Don't you want this type of leader? We keep trying to find it in our, in our politics or, or in our government or at our jobs or our businesses or our family or our friends or maybe even in religious leaders. We, we try to find this, this idea of perfection or maybe we even try to find it in ourselves. We try to honor and value ourselves. But Jesus is the true leader, friends. He's truly loving towards you. He's truly compassionate and gentle and merciful. He says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. He's the true teacher. He doesn't allow us to run around doing whatever we want, but he disciplines us well and helps us transform into his image that we may live a life that is full of joy and full of grace, that we may make it to eternity with him to live forever in bliss. Jesus is the true leader. Don't you want a leader like this? You have him. You have him. Jesus loves you so much that like a good shepherd, he went and he died on the cross for you. 
and said that if you believe in him, if you submit to him, if you make him your elder of your life. See, part of this idea of, of elders is there's a leadership capacity. And for some of us, I think we like the idea of Jesus sacrificing his life for us, but we don't really like the idea of us submitting to his leadership. Wouldn't it be so beautiful to submit to this type of leadership? He's always gentle. He's always caring. He's always self-controlled. He's always respectable. He always teaches you he's hospitable. I mean, this is the leader that we need and that our souls are craving. And we keep trying to find it in all these fake things. And then people fail us and we say, I have no more hope in humanity. Good, have hope in Jesus who is not humanity, but who is God, who put on flesh that he may reveal himself to you and I. This is where our hope needs to be. Jesus has given himself to you. We have the greater elder. Listen, friends, you're never gonna have all the answers for Christianity. God is too eternal and you are too temporary to understand everything there is to know about God. But you can understand this, that he's a good leader. He's a good leader who loves you well. Man, submit to him. If you don't know Jesus today, enter into that relationship. He's open to you. You say, God, I, I want to believe in you. I want to trust you. I want to make you Lord over my life. And you get that opportunity. For some of us as Christians, maybe we have already done that. We've made Jesus the leader and Lord. So then what do we do with this? We say, one, strive to become like this type of leader. Maybe ask yourself, where am I not reflecting Jesus? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, try to grow in this. Maybe an even better question is, where do I not believe that Jesus is a leader like this over me? And then go realize how much he is a leader like that, how he's a true elder, that you may see the beauty of the gospel and that the gospel may transform your heart to want to live more like him. I say this to our, all of us should be striving for this. And while none of us will ever be the perfect shepherd as Jesus was, we should be coming more and more and more like him, okay? Men, particularly, aspire to the office of overseer. You may not ever be an elder, per se, maybe for different reasons, but you should be aspiring to this, men. We need good leaders all around, but we really need good male leaders because so often we drop the ball don't drop the ball. Look to Jesus, who is our great leader. Worship him, love him, and allow him to transform your heart that you too may be a leader that the church and that this world needs, okay? Secondly, I would encourage you to pray for your elders. If the well is not your church home, then wherever you worship at, pray for those elders. If the well is your church home, man, pray for us as elders. Satan would have nothing more than to destroy one of us that he may destroy the church. Because as the leader goes, so often goes the church. And so pray for our protection, pray for our guidance, pray that when we desire to be selfish, that we would lay down our lives for you. It's okay to be selfish in your prayer, all right? Pray that you would be edified, pray that you would be loved, pray that you would be shepherded well. Pray that the elders would lead in such a way that it points all of us into a greater representation of who Jesus is. While the whole world is in chaos over poor leadership, we have the perfect leader, friends. We have the perfect leader. We don't need to find it in our next president, or in our police chief, or in our teachers, or in our CEOs, or whatever it may be, we have that leader, and his name is Jesus. Let us conform into his image that we may better worship him. I love you guys. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for being the true overseer of our souls. God, that you love us so much 
Would you give up your life for us, Christ? I pray very simply, God, that we would get a greater picture of you, our true elder, Jesus. And that because of that, we would worship you. God, for those of us who don't know you, would you draw their hearts to you even this morning, God? And for those of us who say that we do, would you transform us into more and more of your image and would you help us to worship you more and more, to believe in you as the true shepherd and then that we would live this life out before others. God bless the, the men and the women in this church who, who lead and who serve in various ways as we even thinking about deacons next week and the importance of male, males and females being deacons in our church to lead us well as well. God, would you help us as elders? Would you help us as deacons? Would you help us as a congregation to be filled with you, Holy Spirit, that we may better make much of you, Jesus, for the world around us? I love you, Christ. We love you, Jesus. Praise in your very beautiful name. Amen.